episode 303, we're going to talk about the most expensive sport in America, which is the marching arts, and how we may have broke Facebook this week. It's actually kind of a funny story. Okay, here we go. All right, jumping in with a quick from the hip type of podcast today. Uh, my name is Brian Gilbert. I am the founder and CEO of FansRays. And I just wanted to do a really quick podcast to talk a little bit about a blog post of all things that we published a little earlier this week. The blog post, I'll link in the, uh, in the episode description, but it's called The Rising Cost of the Marching Arts, the Most Expensive Sport in America. And yes, before you say anything, I do realize it is a wee bit clickbaity, but the point we're trying to make here is not whether it should or shouldn't be the most expensive sport or whether that's good or bad. It just is. Um, and of course, you get those people that, that do figure skating and that do cheerleading and do a variety of other things. And they, of course, come right out and say, uh, no, of course not. That's not that can't be the most expensive sport. And I think um, what we're talking about on a broad level is that when you take a, let's say, a high school band program and you have, uh, let's say, 100 students involved, the amount of money spent in the aggregate across that entire group is going to be more than I would say a 100 person swim team might be or a 100 person cheerleading uh, squad. Um, and it's for a variety of different reasons. Um, just the, um, you know, the sort different sources of overhead. And I won't go into too deep detail here because you can read the article. Um, but we, it was interesting that the different sources of feedback we got. So the majority, the vast majority of all the feedback was extremely positive and, you know, to the effect of hell yeah, it is the most expensive sport. Number one, it is a sport. Uh, and there are, you know, trolls that, you know, we'll say, of course, it's not a sport. That's ridiculous. This is stupid. Um, but generally, our audience is not of that mindset. Um, they understand it is a sport. In fact, in large portions of the United States, marching band students receive PE credit uh, at their high schools. So I think that should probably tell you everything you need to know. But um, we know that the time spent in rehearsals, the physical preparation, the the mental and physical parallels uh, simultaneous responsibilities that are being demanded upon our, our, our kids certainly qualifies it as a competitive athletic sport. It's just more artistic than any of the others. So I think it probably digs a little bit deeper into the right and left brain than a lot of athletic endeavors can do. But that's really not the point we're trying to make. The point we're trying to really identify is, yes, this is an expensive sport, there are a lot of reasons why it is more expensive than a lot of people tend to realize. And we wanted to identify some of those areas of overhead in terms of you know quality programs that go out and they compete and they travel and they stretch capacity and they broaden capability and they try to dig deep and you know they're competing at a very, very high level. So things like uniforming, uh, costuming, the show design, the, the actual educational staffs, 
for some of these groups are immense. Um, about the you know the biggest staff that I ever directed as a band director, I had 18, um, 18 adult uh, instructors. Uh, a few were, were, were part-time and they would come in maybe once a week, but most everyone was three times a week. Uh, and weekends. And, um, you know, that was for a band that had uh, about 110, 115 kids um, at its top. And and our boosters uh, at the time, this would have just to date it, it would be uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, the booster program that I had was just incredible with um, understanding that in order to really be good and to to continually raise the bar in terms of performance, that you need to you need staff members standing in front of those kids, and um, you know you need people that are good, and you need people that um, have performed at a high level, have taught at a high level, have designed at a high level. Um, but it's funny because I, I've received some feedback that um, isn't as supportive, and I'm kind of surprised. And I guess it's just sort of this trend of the internet where people come across articles. And they're just really quick to criticize. They're really quick to troll. They're really quick to talk about how stupid the new costuming trends are and how all the props are dumb. And it's just a giant senseless waste of money. And I don't feel like that at all. And I hope that the majority of our listeners um, also disagree with that point of view. Because I think what we're finding is, you know, the, the more things evolve and they continually uh, improve, um, you know, the better, you know, the, the, these kids that we're turning out are amazing <laughs> and they're, uh, they're so self-sufficient. They're so self-reliant. Um, they, the majority of us would have a hard time going back and performing the type of physical and musical repertoire that we were at, that our, our, you know, that, that our, um, students are being asked to perform these days. Uh, I know right now, uh, standing still, I could probably pick up a tuba and I could equip myself very, very well in a DCI horn line. Let's say it was the brass section of the Blue Coats or the Cavaliers or the Cadets or Santa Clara. I know I could probably play well enough to stand there in an arc, but I have, I'm under no uh, pretensions whatsoever that I could move and play uh, and do anything along the lines like these kids could do nowadays. And I don't really believe anyone that claims that, um, you know, it's no better, it's no different, it's all moving and playing. And uh, I just think that's that's complete garbage because um, there's no way, the only way that these kids are now doing the things that they're doing is simply because somebody blazed a trail there first and some high school somewhere just decided to go for it. And then everyone saw that uh, and, you know, those videos go up on YouTube and, you know, it's incredible. And then pretty soon everyone goes back to their drawing board and they raise the bar and they push on and they um, continually try to go bigger, louder, faster, stronger. And as a result, fast forward a number of years later, and this is what we have. So we have these programs that are just unreal. And that's not to say that back in our day, you know, for me, it would have been the uh, the mid to late 80s. In high school, my band was very, very good for what it was. Uh, were there better bands around? Of course, there were. There are always, there's always going to be a better ensemble around. But for what we had to work with, for the staff we had, for the the 
marching art sophistication of 1988, let's say, uh, my band was pretty, pretty darn solid for its size and its, uh, its scope. Um, but I do not get these people that just get on Facebook and just go. They just torch everything to the ground. It is, it just astounds me. So, um, the article in question actually has done, let me just grab the stats really quick and that way I can, I could be really specific. So, uh, as I visit the uh, the stats for that blog post, we are probably, yeah, we're approaching 6,000 views. Um, you know, the average time on page for those views is, uh, you know, well over, uh, you know, it's almost three minutes in terms of uh, a visit to the site, which is a long time to read an article. So people are engaged and they're reacting. Um, but, you know, obviously, um you know, some people feel that, uh, number one, I, I should be drawn and quartered because I called marching band A, a sport, and B, that it has more value um, than other activities, which I do believe it has a lot of value. And in a lot of cases, more value than a lot of other activities. I'm not going to hide from that. But, um, you know, I'm not commenting uh, or, you know, uh, I'm not drawing fire on the fact that uh, the costs are rising and they shouldn't because things are just more expensive now. And these experiences and the training and the education and the outcomes that our kids are achieving these days are just far and away different and in a lot of ways better than they were when we were in high school or in you know our drum corps careers or whatever. So, uh, and, and, the, and the blog, to be honest, it's more of an advertorial. Um, so it's, uh, you know, an editorial uh, statement in terms of where the... Uh, uh, where things are moving toward. And, uh, you know, it's obviously sponsored by Fans Raise, and we talk about what ensembles can do to claw back lost funding or to, um, you know, use Fans Raise as a platform to raise more money, um, which is certainly um, something we're always going to do on our blog. And uh, you know, we certainly want people to know what we do and the value that Fans Raise can bring to a performing arts organization. But other than that, there's no... Um, you know, we're not saying that any of this is a bad thing. Um, I do talk a little bit about that, you know, how drum corps has uh, exploded in costs. So um, the parallel I drew is my first drum corps tour in 1990 with the Crossman. When I marched, it was $650. And that, you know, this year they're charging over $4,000 a student. And I think it's more in the ballpark of $4,200 or $4,400. I, I noted $4,200 in the in the article, and it's it's actually probably likely higher than that. I probably should have uh, uh, confirmed that, but I don't I don't name them by name anyway. But um, but if you actually look at the the rate of inflation over that period of time, that tour, if it followed regular inflationary curves, uh, would become thirteen hundred dollars in um, if you six hundred and fifty dollars in nineteen ninety money would equate out to $1,300 today, um, just with the way inflation works. But how did they get over four grand? Well, um, you know, everything is super expensive on a drum core level. Um, and a lot of it has to do with fuel pricing. A lot of it has to do with supply and demand of there are fewer cores, there are few, fewer manufacturers that are actually, um, you know, uh, designing and um, producing the instruments and the uh, you know the different equipment that's used, 
uh, and available to these groups. Now, granted, when they switched from G bugles to B flat band instruments, um, you would think that, uh, well, hey, there's got to be some economies of scale there. In fact, that was one of the uh, the cornerstone justifications that were given for moving out of the key of G bugles into B flat, in that it lowers the barrier of entry in terms of capital purchasing of a of a set of G bugles. Like, why would you want to buy a set of G bugles when they can only be used for that one very niche thing? Where if you move every if you move the activity toward the key of concert B flat, then kids can just show up with their their student model band instruments and participate. And there's some truth to that. The reality is is that all of these world class drum corps all owned matched sets of instruments anyway. And with the exception of maybe some weekend drum and bugle corps or some very informal types of drill teams and things like that that are done on a shoestring, um, the organizations actually own all the equipment outright. And they're all matched and they're all the same vintage and they all tune the same and they all have, you know, have very similar tonal characteristics. So, um, you know, hey, I, if you've got criticism about the article, you can read it and you let me know um, if you feel that um, maybe some of that criticism is justified. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, but here's what I do know. I know that um, it's much, much more expensive to do this stuff than it was 10 years ago, five years ago. Uh, and I think that the amount of, if I look at the ratio of feedback that I got, the, the ratio of, Hey man, right on, uh, far outweighs the, you're out of your mind, idiot <laughs> types of comments. And I did get both, but I got far more of the former and a lot less of the latter. So that feels pretty good. So anyway, um, you know, give that a read. Let me know what you think. Um, go ahead and comment right on the blog if you want. Um, but I'll go ahead and put the uh, the blog post address uh, URL right in the uh, episode notes here. And uh, other than that, uh, Fans Race continues to be very, very busy. This is the time of the year where um, when we send emails out to directors and educators, um, we get a lot of out of office because everyone's out of school, but people are still checking in to a certain extent for summer rehearsals and um you know, everyone's starting their grind. Everyone's starting the process. So this is probably the busy time of year when booster programs are figuring out how they're going to raise all this money. Man, the color guard caption head, the color guard designer just decided we need five new sets of flags. And uh, the visual designer decided they need a, uh, you know, a set of 25 pillars around the field for our Roman Colosseum theme. Uh, and they each are going to weigh about 100 pounds, and we need a, uh, a full-time box truck in order to transfer transport these. So um, design decisions are being made, and consequently, budgetary decisions have to be worked out as well. So this is really a busy time for us. We're getting a lot of inquiries, and that's really cool. So um, I enjoy the, uh, the opportunity to talk with uh, educators or boosters or anyone that's out there trying to solve problems and trying to give kids awesome experiences. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Uh, tune in next time. Be sure to hit uh, subscribe and where, you know, whatever platform you get your blog or your podcast stuff. And while you're over on the blog, make sure you subscribe and make sure you uh, stay in touch with us. Okay. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you.